Welcome to Murder in the Black with Steph and MB. Welcome back to Murder in the Black. It is your host, Steph. As always, I hope you guys are having a fantastic Thursday. Hold tight. The weekend is almost here. So MD will be joining us next week. She has been busy, has a lot of stuff to do. And so we're going to give her some grace like we always do, right? And she'll be back to join us for a special episode. And I know you guys are saying, Steph, it's always a special episode. But no, but for real, for real. This time is serious. It's a special episode because I need for you guys to, after you listen to this episode, I need for you guys to get on Spotify and respond to our poll. Because MD and I have been waiting for this Carly Russell story to kind of find a resting place, a solution, right? And I believe that it has. So you don't want to miss next week's episode because you will be hearing our commentary. But until then, we want to hear from you. So if you're a regular Apple podcast listener and you don't mess with Spotify, we need for you to head back over there because we need to hear what you guys think about this Carly Russell story. If you're not familiar, you have clearly been living under a rock. So come up from underneath the rock. And just type Carly Russell into your search engine, okay? Because I promise you, you're going to have an opinion about it. Promise, promise, promise. But let's go ahead and get into our crime case for today. Terrence Williams was born on January 17, 1976. He was originally from Tennessee, but moved to Naples, Florida to be closer to his mom, but more so than anything, so that he could secure a job and provide for his family. As Terrence was 27 years old in 2004, he had four kids and they were living back in Tennessee with their mother. Now, it's important to understand what was going on in Terrence's life leading up to his disappearance. Well, Terrence at the time was trying to get away from Tennessee because he had a he had a bit of a speckled past with police there or really more so when he was growing up so not necessarily as an adult but he wanted to get away so that he could secure a good job so that he could take care of his children because he was back on child support and couldn't just find a good job there so his mother encouraged him to come down to Naples, Florida, because there was a lot more opportunity there. And that's exactly what he did. Now, he found a job in construction and he started working that job, but in an effort to kind of just like double up his efforts and really kind of secure his financial status, he also got a job working at Pizza Hut in Bonita Springs. Now, Bonita Springs is about like 20 minutes outside of Naples, Florida. And the thing about it is that Terrence was having a bit of a hard time because he lost his driver's license in Naples due to a DUI, right? Like he just had a strike of bad luck, made a mistake, made a bad decision. And so as a result of that, his license was suspended because usually when you get a DUI or a DWI, which there is a slight difference there, depending on what state you live in, um, you know, there, most of the consequences include taking away your license for some type, some amount of time, right? So he relied on his mother and his roommate to get back and forth to his job. Now, in December of 2003, he actually bought a Cadillac. He had a theme for Cadillacs. I feel like if you're Black and you didn't at least know somebody in your family who absolutely loved Cadillacs, like, come on, bro. That 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 has to be like one of our <laughs> like prized cars in the black community, you know, at least old school, right? So he had a thing for for Cadillacs, and he bought a white one. Um, but the thing about it is, is that he would have to wait about six months to get his license back. So that would put him at June two thousand four. So he wasn't driving this car. 
He just got it. Well, anyway, one day, one of his friends at, or some of his friends at Pizza Hut invited him to a party. Um, And his mother actually picked him up the day that they invited him to this party. And, you know, she drove him back to his house from work. And the last words that he said to his mother is, bye, mom, I'll see you later. So he goes into the house and he asks his roommate, um, Jason, he says, hey, Jason, like there's this party from, you know, at a house. Some of my coworkers from Pizza Hut invited me. Won't you come on out, man? Like we can just go together. It'd be fun. But Jason decided to have just like a very laid back time at the house and told Terrence, you know, nah, man, not this time. I don't want to go. And, you know, Terrence is like, okay, well, you know, since you can't drive me or you won't come, you know, I don't want you to have to drive me there. Why don't I just go ahead and just, I'm going to just take my chances driving my Cadillac and I'll see you later. Now, you have to keep in mind that at the time, Terrence didn't have a driver's license that was suspended and his car wasn't registered. So to just be honest, like, right, if we're just dealing in facts, which is what I like to deal in, it probably wasn't the safest thing to do. But I know that, you know, I haven't always had a driver's license and when we know how to drive, we feel like it'll be all right. You know, I won't get caught. I'll go the speed limit. I'll do what I need to do so the police will leave me alone. I mean, like, it just, that's what you think. So I get his rationale behind it. But as a 35-year-old woman, I'm like, bro, you black, your car's unregistered, and you don't have a driver's license. These are all blaring red flags but I honestly understand why he decided to just kind of like take the risk because he was just going to this party and coming back so Terrence actually calls Jason shortly after leaving to head towards the party he tells Jason that He had to stop at a shopping center. He felt really uneasy. And according to Jason, Terrence sounded worried. And the reason was there was a lot of cops in the area. We don't know if these uh, cop cars were like parked, trying to clock somebody speeding, or if they were just riding around the part of town that Terrence happened to be in. Either way, we understand why Terrence was worried. So Terrence called Jason to kind of like shoot the breeze for a couple of minutes so that he could wait out as many cops were in the area, wait them out until they dispersed so that he could feel a little bit better about driving in that particular area. So they shoot the breeze. They talk about really nothing in particular. And finally the police leave the area and Terrence feels like okay I can go on about my business and he tells Jason reassures him I'm good man I'm gonna go ahead and head towards the party I will talk to you later so Jason you know in routine puts his phone down by the tv and heads towards his room and he ends up falling asleep Now, I want to say that this was not Jason's typical routine, right? Like, if he was going to head towards bed, he was bringing his phone with him and putting it on the nightstand. But for whatever reason, this particular night, he forgot. And he ends up going to sleep. And the next morning he wakes up, Terrence wasn't at the house. But this by itself doesn't really give Jason any room for concern because one of the rules that they, you know, made clear to each other while being roommates is Terrence told him like, man, if I don't come home for a couple of days, don't panic. It's cool. I'm probably staying at somebody's house. I'll be home. And so Jason kind of takes that at face value. That is until he retrieves his phone from the living room and sees that he has so many missed calls around 4 a.m. 
and it's from numbers that he doesn't know. So he actually calls one of the numbers back and it's from a coworker from Pizza Hut, right? And she mentions to Jason that she is Terrence's coworker and she did see Terrence leave the party around 5 to 6 a.m. and he was alone. He was by himself. So, you know, now he's starting to like think there's something not right here. You know, um, maybe Terrence needed a ride home. Like maybe that's why he was calling me. Um, you know, just all these different things start to come up in his head and he's very concerned and he really starts to lament the fact that he didn't bring his phone to bed. Like he didn't bring his phone to bed like he usually does. And so he really chastises himself for that. On the other side of town, though, on the next day, Terrence's mother is feeling the exact same way. She's uneasy. She feels like something is wrong specifically with Terrence. And she just can't shake the feeling. And I don't know about you guys, but I've had this feeling before myself. And the only way to describe it is it covers you like a wave, like an ocean wave. Like you just feel this daunting feeling like you have a thousand weights on you, that something is wrong with someone. And sometimes it's about somebody in particular and you have a name. Like Terrence's mother, she knew that something was wrong with her son. And then sometimes you don't have a name and you just have this incredible daunting feeling that something bad happened to someone around you. And I'm telling you, that is the most depressing feeling that you could, you could feel. The reason why I say that is because you don't know that anything is wrong. There's nothing tangible that you can hold to outside of a feeling. And for Terrence's mother and for myself, when I get these like six cents, right, that something's going on with a family member or with family in general, well, you know, you just pray. And that's what she did. She walked through her house, she prayed, and she continued her day as normal because she didn't have any proof nothing to hold on to, that something was actually wrong with Terrence. But on Tuesday, she receives an email from Jason, Terrence's roommate, and he's asking her, has she heard from Terrence? Does she know where he is? And she has to reply, no, I don't know what, I don't know where he is. I haven't heard from him. And that leads me into the relationship that Terrence's mother had with Terrence. Terrence was her only son. It was her baby boy. And if you are a boy mom, even if you have one boy, you know that that relationship is so incredibly special. And they would talk every day. You know, they would talk whether it be on the phone or she'd go by his house or he'd come there or she would be picking him up from work because he was one of the people he relied on to get to and from work. So she had not heard from him. And this was immediate concern. Like this was go time, not only for Terrence's mother, but for Jason, his roommate. So on Wednesday, both J Jason and Terrence's mother start to call hospitals. You know, they gave Terrence's name, they gave Terrence's description, and no hospitals, you know, had any recollection of anybody coming in by, by that name or his description. So then they went on to the jails, right? Because they knew that Terrence was driving an unregistered car and he was driving without a license. So the next course of action would naturally be, well, maybe he got picked up. You know, he did make that call about seeing those cops and maybe for whatever reason he got picked up. But no one matching his description or name was found at the hospital or the jail. So Terrence's mother decided to leave work immediately upon hearing that Jason could not track him down via hospitals 
or the jails. She gets off of work and she goes to Pizza Hut. And that's when she discovers that he had missed consecutive days of work, three days to be exact, and he had not picked up his last paychecks. So this is it. His mother is like, nope, Terrence is missing. Something, Something's happened. This isn't right. So she goes down to the Collier County Sheriff's Office intending on filing a missing persons report. And of course, say it with me, MIB listeners, he can go missing. He's an adult. This was the rhetoric that she received when she went into the police department to file a missing persons report for her son. You know, they mentioned, you know, had he had any arguments or disagreements with somebody? Is there a reason why he would want to disappear? And she just emphatically tells them, no, Terrence would not voluntarily disappear. Something's wrong. And he and they tell her, you know what? Well, hey, listen, if he's still missing in a month, come back and file a missing persons report. And I wish I could say that, you know, this wasn't normal, but this is. This type of behavior in law enforcement is totally normal. And while I understand that there is a certain protocol that you have to have when it is a person who is missing who is an adult, but I'm going to tell you right now, it should never be when a person is missing for a month. You naturally, or normally, I should say, you typically hear a person saying, well, or police enforcement saying, well, come back in 24 hours, 72 hours, but a month. That That's what y'all doing in Naples, Florida? Telling people to come back in a month? Wow. So she, she, meaning Terrence's mother, leaves the police department brokenhearted, feeling very, you know, just torn like why isn't law enforcement helping me but she does the next best thing because family good family emphasis on good family is always gonna help out family so she calls back to chattanooga tennessee and gets on the phone with her sister and her sister and family begin to call the police department there in collier every single day I mean, I'm talking about every single day and tell them that they need to do something about Terrence being missing, right? And as a result of their persistence, the police department pays Terrence's mother a visit and they interview his mother. And she tells police all the information that she knows But the one thing that she says to the police that leaves them kind of stunned is she says, my son isn't coming back. And of course, the police officer says, why are you saying that? You know, is there something you know that we don't? And she says, no, like, I just have a gut feeling that my son is not coming back. Around this time, that same sister, okay, Terrence's aunt makes so many calls around Naples, Florida, y'all. She ends up finding Terrence's car. She finds out that it was towed from a cemetery there in Naples. And Marseilla, which is um, Terrence's mother's name, and I'll go ahead and call her Marseilla for the rest of the episode, she goes ahead and finds, you know, gets get retrieves this information from her sister, tells law enforcement, hey, we found my son's car at a towing uh, place. I'm headed there now to go identify it. Y'all, the Williams family is doing their due diligence. Do you hear me? They might as well go into law enforcement and do their job. Because I don't know that Collier County Police Department is doing theirs, okay? But they're doing their job. So Marcella goes ahead. She goes down to the towing, towing company 
and she locates her son's car. She sees the white Cadillac and by going through some of the things in the car, she identifies that, yes, this is indeed his car. She finds two of his jackets that he wears, and she also finds two empty cartons of Newport cigarettes, and that's what he smoked. So according to the towing company, on the 12th of January, they actually towed this car because it was obstructing traffic. And it was called in to the Collier Police Department. Now, they go back, the Williams family circles back to Collier County Sheriff Police Department and tells them all the information that they've retrieved. Like, okay, one of your police officers called in my son's car. Do you have an incident report? Do you have an arrest that you've made? You know, what is really going on? Well. They say, well, we don't have an incident report or an arrest report that anything happened to Terrence's car or that Terrence was even arrested. So now, you know, that leads to another dead end. But can we all say together that this is sounding very suspicious already? Mm-hmm. Now, they go and the family, they go to the cemetery where the car was found and they start talk talking to employees of the cemetery and they have recollection of what happened to terrence they actually saw that a police officer pulled terrence over that morning early in the morning and that that same police officer told the car they find out that this police officer's name was steve calkins he was a 17 year old veteran patrol officer and he had a lot of experience witnesses say they saw calkins pull into the cemetery parking lot he had on his emergency lights but no accompanying sirens right they said that they he had asked Terrence for his ID. Terrence, of course, didn't have any. He also didn't have, you know, his car wasn't registered, something that Calkins would have found out. They said that at that point, Calkins pats Terrence down and places him in the back of his vehicle. But none of this was confrontational. It seemed to witnesses that this was very, you know, very amicable as amicable as it can be when you're being arrested right i don't want to make light of that and be like it was such an amicable um arrest i mean i mean who likes being arrested well how is that ever really truly friendly i'm just saying so he he was asked to leave well actually terrence asked the cemetery employees if he could leave his car there and he would come back and have it told. And the cemetery employee said, yeah, that, that's cool, it's fine, because it was in a parking, it was in the cemetery parking lot. So it wasn't obstructing traffic, it wasn't doing anything crazy. So they said, yeah, like you can just come back and have it told. But here's where the story kind of goes south. Calkins returns about 15 minutes to an hour later and move, moves the Cadillac, Terrence's vehicle, from the parking lot where it was in the cemetery and actually moves it to the side of the road. So now Terrence's car is obstructing traffic. He then takes his keys and like simply just drops them on the side of the car. And that's where Terrence's keys were found, according to the towing company. So at this point, they bring in Steve Calkins to, you know, have a conversation, right? Because what is happening? There was no incident report. No arrest, 
There are questions that need to be answered. And most of all, who wants to talk to this deputy is Marseille. She wants to talk to the dep deputy and see, like, what happened? Like, what happened to my son? What, what happened during this, this arrest? Why weren't, why wasn't an arrest report made available? Like, this all is just ridiculous. So, I said they called him in, but they didn't call him in. Like, they literally called, made a phone call to him. <laughs> just in case you guys thought I meant, like, they called him into the police department. A supervisor actually calls him directly. And there is, like, footage of this recording. And they're, like, laughing. Like, the supervisor is, like, they're really shooting the, shooting the breeze, okay? And very lighthearted. And the supervisor says, I'm so sorry to, you know, call you on your day off, you know. Um, I just want to know, do you remember arresting a man by the name of Terrence Williams and kind of just kind of runs through everything and talks about the towing? And he says, yeah, no, I don't remember that at all. And the supervisor is so like jovial about it. It's hard to even believe that he took it seriously because it was just like, <laughs> oh, I know you're playing with your kids. Like it was, uh, y'all, that that call made me so upset. And so he just says, you know, I don't have any memory of this. Now, at this point, this was just four days ago, y'all. This case has not moved slow at all. And I want to emphasize that this case has not moved slow because of the Williams determination to find Terrence because if it was up to the Collier County Police Department who knows when this investigation would have really got started if it was up to them they would have started the investigation in February can you tell that I'm irritated so how do you forget as a 17 year old veteran how do you forget arresting somebody how do you forget for just four days ago right like this is all starting to look very shady well because of the pressure that terrence's parents and all of his family back in chattanooga are putting on the collier county police department they actually bring him in this time they bring in deputy steve Calkins. This time that Steve Calkins actually comes into the police department and he is telling the supervisor and everybody his side of the story because now he conveniently remembers. He tells them that he'd seen Terrence and his car around 12 15 p.m. After seeing the car in quote unquote distress, he follows Terrence into a cemetery parking lot. And that's when Terrence asks for a ride to his job at Circle K. Now, if you don't know what Circle K is, it's kind of like a mini bodega, right? It has like, there's like some groceries in, inside there, but it also like doubles as a gas station. So, you know, it's just a situation, right? Now, according to Marcella, his mother, she tells, you know, in this documentary I saw, she's like, this doesn't make sense. She was really confused. She was like, my son had already like a speckled past with law enforcement back in Tennessee when he was younger. There'd be no way that he would ask for a ride to work to a police officer. You know what I'm saying? Like he had way too many people that he could have called which was herself or his roommate, it just didn't sound right. Why would the first person he would ask to help him get to work at a job he didn't even have, why would that be a police officer? So already this story is sounding very sketchy. Plus, we already know that Terrence doesn't work at Circle K. There are also witnesses and employees from Circle K that said they would have remembered a police car driving up and a person getting out. Because mind you, 
Terrence was put in the back of a police car. So it's not like he could have just popped out of the police car by himself. There would have been some type of attention given to a police car opening the back seat of his car, you know, taking handcuffs off of a person, you know, like make it make sense, Steve. But none of the witnesses at Circle K remember any of this. Now, mind you, this was at 1215. So for the sake of being the devil's advocate, there was a lot of things going on during that time. I mean, it was lunchtime. People were going in and out of the store. It is possible that the, what Steve said could have happened. And nobody who was at the Circle K remembers or saw, right? So that's when surveillance cameras were looked at. And let me say, once again, the surveillance cameras were looked at not by law enforcement first. No, 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 no. Because when Terrence Williams' family found out about this whole Circle K story, they decided to go and pay Circle K a visit. And Terrence's stepfather goes to Circle K asked to review the surveillance footage and by the way it was working because we know a lot of times it isn't in true crime there was no sighting of terrence or a police car because remember steve's story was that he dropped terrence off at the circle k for work and that was it he actually said he didn't arrest terrence at all because you know terrence was so polite that even though he didn't have a driver's license or a registered vehicle, he didn't want to arrest him for that. He decided to cut him a break, cut him loose, and take him to Circle K. Now, Calkins then says that he goes back to the car because according to Calkins, Terrence told him that his car was registered and he goes back to the vehicle and sees that, okay, this car isn't registered. And so he felt away because he was like, you know, Terrence deceived him. And he calls Circle K back up, asks to speak to Terrence and the Circle K employees and manager lets him know that there's no one by that name of just Terrence because he didn't have his last name. There's no one by that name that works there. So at this point, after finding out this entire story, looking at the surveillance tape, Marcia decides, you know what? I'm going to file a complaint against Steve Hawkins because there's nothing that he did that was right. You know, like in her eyes, right? She felt like, what are you doing? I mean, in anybody's eyes, to be honest, why, if you had, you take him to work, then you claim that you didn't know the vehicle was registered. You knew he didn't have a driver's license. The proper protocol, if, if he didn't have a driver's license, would be to arrest him because you would be able to see that his driver's license was suspended due to a DUI. All you got to do is call in the dispatch and find that information out. But in the midst of this, right, in the midst of finding out all of this information, filing a complaint against Officer Steve Calkins, another disappearance that sounds eerily the same pops up on Collier County Police Department's radar. Because this is sounding very much like an incident that happened with a man by the name of Philippe Santos. Felipe Santos. Felipe was an immigrant who was working in Naples, Florida. Actually, Felipe and Terrence's story kind of run parallel in the sense that they were both trying to reassemble their lives and do better. And they were doing better at the time of their disappearance. Felipe was working as a farmer 
in a city that he lived in that was just like 25 miles outside of Naples. Um, but he had recently got a job as a construction worker. Sound similar? <laughs> and this job was like right on time. The reason why is because Felipe actually had a fiance who was pregnant with their first child. And so being a construction worker, you get a lot more pay um, than being a farmer, right? And so he was committed to, you know, doing this construction worker job. And actually him and his brothers got this job. The only thing was, is that this job was like 30 miles away from where he lived. So this posed somewhat of a problem because he would need a ride to work. Well, Felipe and his brothers got a car and they decided to drive themselves back and forth to work. They were undocumented. And so it definitely was a risk, a very high risk, because they didn't have a driver's license and they didn't have insurance and they didn't have the, you know, because they were undocumented, it's not like they could just go and get those things, right? So they were just trying to support their family. And I know some of our listeners may be thinking like, well, duh, why are these people driving without driver's license, insurance? They're putting themselves at risk. Yes, they are. But please give Felipe and Terrence the benefit of the doubt. This was their livelihood. They were trying to make money. This was the way that they could do so. And they felt like they could you know, go back and forth without getting into too much trouble, right? So anyway, one day Felipe and his brothers are going to work and Felipe is driving and he finds himself in the wrong turning lane and he makes a turn where he's not supposed to and he gets into an accident. Immediately, he does the right thing. He pulls over into a parking lot um, and the other driver flags down a police car that just so happened to be driving by. Well, the person in this police car was Officer Steve Calkins. Calkins gets out of his vehicle and begins to evaluate the situation between Felipe and his brothers and the person that they hit. Now, this took place on October 1st, 2003, around 6.30 a.m. in the morning. According to Calkins, you know, Felipe immediately, you know, tells Calkins, hey, it's my fault. I was the perpetrator. I was the person driving. Um, and he admits his, his fault in the accident. They exchange information. And then Calkins asks him, of course, for his ID, his driver's license and insurance. Well, we know Felipe doesn't have that. So Calkins actually cites him a citation for reckless driving and driving without a license or insurance. Then, according to Calkins, he arrests him or he puts him in the back of his patrol car, just like he did Terrence. But Felipe was never seen or heard from again. At the time of his disappearance, Felipe was 24 years old. Now, naturally, the Santos family felt that Felipe would be booked into the county jail and they would be able to get him out. And this is what they told Felipe's boss. So that very same day, Felipe's boss contacted the jail to post bail, thinking that Felipe was there. But of course, he was not. So they're at a loss. According to Calkins, he was asked where Felipe was, right? And he said that he let Felipe go because Felipe was so cooperative and so polite that he didn't want to arrest him. He just felt like issuing those citations was good enough. He then dropped him off at Circle K. Are you catching the heavy drift? I know that you are. Two weeks after Felipe's disappearance, that is when his family gets very worried and concerned. I mean, let's face it, they were already concerned when he wasn't even booked into the county jail. 
They file a missing persons report. And then once they retrieve the incident report from Calkins, they say, you know what? We're going to file a complaint against him as well because the math ain't mathing. But as the police department, Collier County Police Department, opens its investigation on Calkins and this complaint, according to their protocol and their rules put in place at that time, Calkins didn't do anything wrong. So he was cleared of any wrongdoing in the case of Felipe, and Felipe never came back. Now, I said that this took place in October of 2003. Just months later, in January, the same thing happens to Terrence. And Collier County Police Department can't help but just notice that a lot of these cases, this case, Terrence's case, and Felipe's case, sound very similar, eerily similar. We now know that the case between Felipe Santos and Terrence Williams are eerily similar. However, I want you to tuck that underneath your hat for a second because I want to circle back to Terrence's vehicle. Nine days after the car is found, crime scene unit comes and actually processes his car because they're trying to find out what happened to Terrence. They do find trace evidence in his car, but they can't reveal it because it's an ongoing case. And this is when they reach out to the public and ask for help. Now, the complaint that Terrence's mother has already been filed. So internal affairs at this point is looking into Calkins' um, case concerning Terrence. They ask him to come in for a taped interview and they have him sign a piece of paper that essentially says nothing he says during this interview can be used against him in a criminal court. And they ask if he would like to take a polygraph test. Now, you have to know that these polygraph questions were just about the day that he came in contact with Terrence. It was not concerning what took place after he put Terrence in the back of his vehicle. So he actually passes that polygraph test. On March 1st of 2004, investigators go and pro process the deputy's car. And they said that his car was immaculately very clean. And that is a quote. But what they go ahead and do is they get a GPS device and they put it on um. Calkins car because I want to see if he goes to any spots that are particularly like secluded somewhere where he could have put Terrence and or Felipe and they find a couple of spots they search they use helicopters dogs and other extensive tools to kind of like find out where Terrence could be but to no avail they come up with nothing and one of the investigators said that where he went that was secluded was kind of like a wasteland. Like you could actually be out in broad daylight and hide something out there. And more than likely, you probably won't ever find it because that's how big and expansive it was. And it was a wooded area. You know, anything about like Florida or Alabama, they just have a lot of wooded area and it goes on for miles and miles and miles. So they couldn't find anything. Police wanted to look at, like, is there any reason why Terrence could have wanted to go away? Like, you know, is there anything in his past or anything going on with him at the present time that would make him want to leave? Well, we already know that he had some issues with law enforcement back, back in Chattanooga. But he was actually scheduled to be in front of a judge for an order of back child support. And when he failed to show up, a warrant was issued for his arrest. But according to his mother, like that, he would never miss out on that. The whole point of him coming to Naples, Florida, was to get on his feet, 
get some money. He was working two jobs so that he could get caught up on those payments or, and or get his, his child support adjusted. So him leaving and being missing for the sake of, you know, missing out on this court case surrounding back child support, just it didn't add up to his mother. So at this time, police go ahead or internal affairs pulls tapes that the deputy made to dispatch. Four minutes after finding out his tags were expired, right? Because listen, I'm a, we, I feel like I'm going to have to remind you of things because this case is just, it's so much. So you remember he pulls Terrence over. Terrence begs him for, for a ride to work. He drops Terrence off at work and tells, asks Terrence, where are your registration papers for your car? And Terrence tells him, oh, they're in the glove compartment. And so when he goes back, to the car that's when he finds out that the tags were expired so they have him on dispatch talking to a dispatcher and he's now contradicting not just the story that he's given to internal affairs but now he's contradicting witness statements as well and y'all this particular um call on dispatch is just filled with a lot of inappropriate language, okay? He is, you know, just talking really wild about Black people and people of color. The context of the conversation claimed that the car was abandoned. Not that he had made, you know, that he had pulled this guy over and that, you know, he took this guy to work like none of that none of what he said to internal affairs and other investigators that the car was abandoned and for investigators they're like yeah what he said on the dispatch call was wildly inappropriate and it was not the conduct of a police officer what really bothered them was the fact that he lied he, of course, denies lying, said he was joking around with a co-worker, like, no big deal. Like, I wasn't even being serious. Um, but he just, you know, said that he just said that it was ban- abandoned because he wanted to make it easier for the tow, the towing station that was going to come and tow the, the vehicle. The other thing that doesn't sit right with internal affair, affairs investigators is that he requests a background check on Terrence to dispatch which led investigators to believe that his interaction with Terrence lasted five minutes. Like what he told internal, internal affairs about the conversation that he had with Terrence, it was like, Oh, you know, I, you know, not even pulled him over to help him. I helped him because he needed, he was having car trouble. He told me his name was Terrence, you know, and I took him to work. And end of story period, right? He claimed that he didn't even know Terrence's last name. But 23 minutes after he got the car towed, he gives dispatch a full name and a birthday. So, I mean, if anything else, the the deputy Steve Calkins is lying. This is very clear to the internal affairs investigators. You know, he couldn't account for how he knew knew Terrence's birthday. He never could say, oh, I knew his birthday because of this. Like, he couldn't even account for any of his lies that were being told at this point. He becomes even more more inconsistent. And three months later, they issue Calkins to come in for another polygraph test. But this time, they focus on what happened after Terrence Carr was told. And he failed that. He showed to be deceptive. So they're trying to figure out, okay, Steve, did you see Terrence again after dropping him off at Circle K? Both men were last seen with you. What is going on? So they confront him with this. And he says, 
I, I, I choose to no longer cooperate. They want to search his house. You know, they're, they're trying so desperately to try to find like ways to kind of unpack this puzzle because they know that this man is lying but they don't have probable cause to go in and search his house right they they don't have they just don't they don't have the evidence that it takes to do that so on august 20th internal affairs concludes its investigation and all complaints are sustained he is fired from collier county police department they proved that he was not compliant, that he lied. Um, his conduct was unbecoming of an officer. He actually appeals this decision, but his appeal was denied. Now, the county sheriff didn't believe that um, Steve Calkins was responsible for any physical harm coming to Terrence Williams or Felipe Santos. But what he did state in a memo that he put out to the public was that he no longer trusted Calkins and his ability to recall pertinent events. Collier County Police Department um, was totally affected by this investigation. And Calkins believes that he was wronged by the county. And he was just a victim of coincidence. Like it was just a coincidence that Felipe went missing and he dropped him off at Circle K. It was just a coincidence that Terrence lied to him about the registration and he was dropped off at Circle K. Circumstance of coincidence only. However, when dealing with facts, we have to be smart enough to know that this isn't coincidental at all. All of the facts bring us back to Steve Calkins. Steve Calkins has not been arrested or charged in relation to the disappearance of Terrence Williams and Felipe Santos. However, he remains a main person of interest as it relates to these cases. Terrence Williams was illegally declared dead in 2009. In January of 2011, the Santos and Williams family became interested in skeletal remains that were found just under a mile from where Felipe was last seen. Marcelo Williams was quoted saying that if those were Felipe's remains, that she felt like Terrence would be close by. However, after DNA testing was done, they found out that those were not Felipe's remains. Now, this case is still unsettled as of 2023, but I'm going to provide you with some brief updates about where the case is today and what happened after 2011, after they found out that those were indeed not the skeletal remains of Felipe Santos. Now, this case has garnered a lot of attention and one of the biggest advocates for this case is our beloved Tyler Perry. As of 2018, he actually put up his own money as a reward, $200,000 for any information relating to the disappearance of Terrence Williams and Felipe Santos. On August 30th, 2018, a wrongful death lawsuit was filed against Calkins. The victim's families were represented by civil rights attorney, Benjamin Crump. Now, Benjamin Crump is very popular in the entertainment circle, just in the lawyer circle, as well. And if you're not familiar with his name, you're probably familiar with his pictures. So Google it. In 2020, Calkins' attorney took a deposition from Marcella Williams, Terrence's mother. Later that year, the case entered a non-binding arbitration with the arbitrator ultimately entering a non-binding judgment in favor of Calkins. Although Crump team tried to 
appealed the decision, a judge dismissed the case and ruled that Marcella Williams had to pay Calkins around $5,600 for the costs related to the lawsuit. So this was definitely a blow for Marcella Williams and the victim's families. And that's kind of where the case lands today. But I want to dig into some theories surrounding this case, because very much like the case that we did about uh, the Titans football player and his name totally slips my mind. I don't know why, but there are a lot of theories that people come up with. So one of the theories that is posted by the sheriff's department is that both men left on their own accord to avoid trouble with the law. And you may be asking yourself, why did Felipe leave? Well, Felipe was undocumented. And so there was a risk that if he was to go to court for those citations that he got or received, he then would be deported. And Williams had a warrant related to his unpaid child support. We talked about that. However, both men's families denied this. Um, you know, they had strong relationships and ties to their family and their children. And so this just doesn't add up. Now, a local gas station, Sunco, a clerk had claimed that they saw Terrence in the building, but that was never substantiated. There was no evidence that Williams was ever seen there and his last encounter was with Calkins. Now that's according to the sheriff's department. How convenient, right? Now a popular theory for the disappearance um, is called the starlight tour theory. Now this is new to me. The term originates from a Canadian province um, of Saskatchewan. I didn't say that right, but it's S-A-S. K-A-T-C-H-E-W-A-N. <laughs> and it describes the practice of police driving individuals to the edge of town or outside of city limits and abandoning them to find their own way home. This came to be a practice in 2000 when an indigenous Canadian had a situation with a police officer and he drove him to the edge of town in freezing conditions and he almost died, right? So this is another theory that this is what indeed Calkins did to both Felipe and Terrence. But that just doesn't seem to be the case either because, you know, it, it just that just doesn't seem to jive. But that is a theory. Now, a number of podcasts have kind of explored the theory that Santos and Williams were dropped off in the nearby Everglades and died of exposure and just of the the really um, survivalist kind of like atmosphere of that time. They just they they died because of it, right? However, they don't believe that he would have had time to go to the Everglades and then come back to Naples, Florida. So, you know, that doesn't jive either. Look at me saying jive as if I am born in 1952. Okay, whatever. But that pretty much are the theories concerning or the theories that are out there that are popular in the public. So let's go ahead and get into our takeaways. Because if you don't know, I got a lot to say. All right, slip and slide into this takeaway, honey. But before I do that, I just don't think I would be doing you guys justice here on our show if I didn't tell you that this particular episode is a lot to unpack. And I feel like I have done my due diligence to try to give you the main points of this case. But there's so much information that I may have missed, like some details that you would want to know. So I highly suggest you can head on over to YouTube. If you like watching true crime stuff over there, just type in Terrence Williams disappearance. 
Um, a lot of information and documentaries are over there on YouTube. But if you're anything like me and you just kind of want all the deets, then definitely head over to the ID channel and search for Disappeared. That is the name of the show. And it is season five, episode three. I want you guys to view that if you want more details. Honestly, you can type in um, Terrence Williams update 2023 and find out more about the cases that um, a lot of uh, media outlets have written articles, well-written, detailed articles about this case. Now, on to what I think, um, what I've taken away about this case. I was kind of really on the edge of covering a high-profile case with you guys, and this particular missing persons case has garnered a lot of attention. As I said, Tyler Perry brought a lot more attention with just his name alone concerning this case and putting up his own reward money, but I really wanted to go for a missing persons case because in light of this Carly Russell story, we have to know that there that was such an exploitation of crimes that don't always get the the credibility and the notoriety that they should get and this is one of those cases for me this case the fact that this happened over you know back in 2004 early 2004 and we are still at the point where Calkins has been investigated. Yeah, he lost his job, but this man knows something. And no more, no more information has been given about this case. We are still at a standstill. And I just find it, you know, I would love for MD to be here because I'm like, girl, I need to understand why they why she lost that case um, with Calkins in civil court like I just I really I need to understand why she did that but whatever the case I just think it's that's still such a shame that she can't receive justice from Calkins in criminal court and she can't receive justice in civil and this man has literally been able to get away with it and he was clearly in my opinion he was racist he had definitely overtones of racism and prejudice in his call to the dispatch um dispatch person in Collier County not only that i feel like this man was just he was just evil and you have to know that there are evil people in these positions of power and honestly it just makes me angry when i got to the end of this case I was angry and I didn't really know what to do with it. I just was just mad. Like this man targeted, you know, um, Terrence. He lied about the story. He had inconsistencies. And because there's there's these loopholes in the law where where it can be advantageous if you really didn't do nothing, right? But like in this situation with Calkins where I wish they had enough evidence to search his house. You know what I'm saying? But Calkins, because he was a police officer, I really felt like he knew exactly what to do to get away with it. And I don't know that that, I feel like I find myself during takeaways in cases that really stump me. I just find myself saying, and I don't even know if that's a takeaway, but it's just an awareness, right? It's just an awareness that this type of evil exists. And I already said in the episode, I feel like there will be people or listeners or people who can make the argument that these people were driving, these people, meaning Felipe Santos and Terrence Williams, they were they were driving um, well, full well knowing the risk that was involved in driving, right? But I just feel like we've all been there. And that is no reason for you to get your life taken away from you because i don't believe neither one of these young men are alive i believe he did so i believe he killed them you know um and to me that's what happened right i believe that i'm gonna stand 10 toes down on it 
So they didn't deserve that. So to me, that's not a good argument to say that, you know, they, there was a risk. Well, we risk things every day. We go against, you know, we go against things that we know, okay, because we think we can get away with it. That's no reason for you to lose your life. And these families are left with no answers, none. And so I just, it bothers me so much. This case, I think of all the cases that we've done for our summer season, this case has just really blown my socks off. And I just, I'm left so brokenhearted for the Williams family. Terrence Williams, mother, Marcella Williams, she continues to advocate for her son. She continues to make his, make sure that his story is still known, you know? Um, and my heart goes out to the Santos family as well. So if you have any information, any information about the disappearance of Terrence Williams or Felipe Santos, please reach out to the Collier County Police Department. This family needs answers. And somebody somewhere knows something that could help investigators prosecute Calkins to the full extent of the law. And his whereabouts at this time is actually unknown. So he is avoiding any type of press like the plague. But this is Murder in the Black. Make sure that you go to our polls. Tell us what you think about the Carly Russell situation. I encourage you guys to rate and review. Share if you care with friends and family. And until next time, this is Murder in the Black.